Hey y'all, welcome back. It is Lynn Howard. It is officially December. It's actually, as I record this right now, it's December 2nd, but you guys won't hear it until next week, which will be the day after my birthday. And I'm not going to tell you my age because, well, it doesn't matter, I guess. 46, whatever. I mean, it's just a number, right? So we actually, this week, we have something fun. We have Becca Syme. I know I told you guys Brian Cohen was coming on, and he is, but we've had some scheduling issues between the two of us. He's had to go out of town. He had a sick child. And then I somehow, still being the hot mess author than I am, managed to schedule him right when I'd be picking up the disabled child from the bus stop. So I had to reschedule him. So he will be on still in December. I'm pretty excited about that. But this week we have Becca Syme, who is the author of the Quit Books, as well as the uh, founder and coach from the Write Better Faster courses. To give you her Amazon uh, description, Becca Syme is a Gallup certified strengths coach with a master's degree in transformational leadership and 14 years of experience in success coaching with writers, organizations, and individuals in communications, strategy, systems, and self-leadership. She teaches the popular Write Better Faster course and does strengths for writers coaching. She lives in a ski town, Montana, where it's always winter and never Christmas, and she sometimes writes mystery novels. Like I said before, she is the author of the Quit Books. There are I believe six of them. The one that I wrote and the one that I really wanted to talk to her about was Dear Writer, You Need to Quit. Because honestly, the title caught my attention. Like, you're telling me to quit what? Listen, y'all, pick up the book. It, it's definitely worth the read. So the blurb on the back, the market is crowded and it's hard to know what to do if you're a writer right now. Everyone is looking for an edge to be better or faster. I want to help you find a way to be both of those things. Look inside to find out if this book is right for you. If you like what you see, then come with me and let's figure out this journey together. There's good news and bad news inside, and I want you to be as equipped as you can be. This is a mindset shift book. If you want to succeed in this industry, there are some things you need to quit. Don't you want to know what they are? And yes, I did. And yes, there were some things that made so much sense to me that I wish that we can get her a bull, bullhorn and just holler it from the rooftops. So without further ado, let's get into her interview. I have Becca Syme with me today. Say hello, Miss Becca. Hello. So I have recently finished Dear Writer, You Need to Quit. And I got to tell you, when I first saw the description, I was like, I'm sorry, I need to what? <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you trying to tell me? But this book was so great. I've been trying to make it this past year and into next year to read as many non-conventional writing craft books as possible. And this was like on my top of my list. They're like rewards. So this was I one like of my that. rewards. I'm showing you on the microphone, like you can see the book. I don't. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. This channel used to be called A Hot Mess Writer's Life. We just recently changed it just to, <laughs> to show you. But what the book is, is what to keep, what to quit, and what to question. And by the way, what was what, what voice do you cue? Oh, the QTP. Yeah, the QTP voice. <laughs> But do you? <laughs> but do you? And yeah. I like pictured, you know, in my, but do you really? Yeah. <laughs> so I have some questions for you that I compiled while I was, you know, checking out your website, reading the books, things like that. So yeah. one of my first ones after finding out that you're, you know, um, get the, the certificate as a Gallup certified strengths coach, master's mm -hmm. degree in transformational leadership, so much. So what, after all that, made you want to become a writing coach? So I actually started off um, as a writer, like I was a 
a full-time writer from 20, I want to say 2010 uh, was when my first book came out until, I mean, until really recently, I was even still fiction writing while I was doing coaching for quite a while. And then it just kind of became untenable (laughs) and fiction, (laughs) a little bit of a hobby for a while, Uh, but I'll come back to it. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I always wanted to be a writer when I was younger. And um, when I started writing, I had this background in both the Gallup uh, strengths and then also uh, in kind of organizational you know, uh, transition and self-leadership and stuff like that. And uh, I saw so many of my friends struggling with different things in their career, either um, not having the ability to understand how they made their best choices or not knowing themselves well enough to know what to say yes and no to. Um, And I was like, hey, this I found this to be really helpful. Do you want to talk about it? And then we would start talking about it. And then they would tell their friends and they would tell their friends and they would tell their friends. <laughs> this like, uh, hey, would you mind, you know, teaching a class to indie authors? And then would you mind doing this and that? And it just kind of grew into um, something that had a broader appeal. And I, I had never intended to write a book because the work that I do is so individualized. Um, But I started to see these crazy patterns where like word for word, people would say the exact same things to me in coaching calls. And then I would hear it over and over and over again. I'm like, okay, that feels like a pattern that I could address on a bigger scale because there seems like more people are having that problem. So I just kind of started collecting all of those patterns into, you know, one area. And then lo and behold, the first uh, quit book happened. And then it's just kind of gone on from there. I keep seeing the patterns, writing a book about it, and then going back into coaching and, you know, doing my thing. Yeah. It sounded like we started writing about the same time professionally started. I've been doing this since Charlotte's web killed Charlotte. Um, (laughs) I didn't know what immortality was at the time, but you know, I I granted Charlotte with immortality, even though I'm arachnophobic, but I didn't start Mm. writing professionally until about 2010 or 2011. So we Mm -hmm. were in the game at the same time, sister. Mm -hmm. Now, so there's how many now? Five or six quit books? Yeah, there's there's six total. uh, And then the newest one is coming out in January. Is that the Are You Intuitive or is there one after that? No, there's one after that. It's the author stuck list. Yeah, we have the intuitive book came out this year in 22. And then the stuck list book will come out in uh, probably February of 23. I will be, I've noticed that I can't read nonfiction books on ebook for some reason, which Mm. I read all my books in ebook. I have to have it, I guess, because I'm highlighting and dog earing pages that I want to go back to things like that. But I will be buying all these books. What's funny is uh, I was coaching on the side, not knowing I was coaching because I got tired of people talking about writer's block. Mm. And I am not a true believer in writer's block. It's called something else is going on. So let's delve into that, you know? Okay. So let me go down the next one. Now, how does the Gallup strengths affect a writer's career? I had not actually really heard of that before reading your book. I had to go and research what that was. Yeah, the the strengths program is something that exists probably more in corporate settings just because it is a, you know, it's a it's a success metric. So it's a study of like how are people at their most successful. Um and the thing that's a little bit kind of crazy about the strengths is that most most 
personality tests are someone decided there was four groups of people and they created a test to find which one of those four groups of people they were. And those, uh, the, the types of tests that those are tend to be, uh, not as applicable, right? Like it's applicable to some people and not applicable to other people because of course there's the bell curve of research where some people don't fall outside of the bell curve basically. Um, but the, the Clifton strengths metric was created in a different way. The, excuse me, sorry. It's okay. The person who created, uh, the program, was watching successful people and thinking, wow, it seems like there's a pattern here of how people are successful. Let me gather some more data and figure out if there is an actual pattern there. And so they did, you know, interviews with successful people and they did hundreds of thousands of these interviews and where they had already pre-selected the most successful people and then said, how are these people the same and how are they different from each other? And they came up with this, um, out of the results, came up with this assessment for 34 different potential ways that you could be successful. And what the what the Clifton Strengths tells you is, how is your success most likely to happen? Like in ter- inside your head, how do you process data? How do you act in a way that is different from other people? And how does that matter? And what we find is that um, there is no universal truth when it comes to writing. There are no rules that apply to everyone. There is nothing that happens to every single person or that every single person does in the same way that I you think, can point I, to I and feel say, like you need to repeat that part right there. Right. <laughs> right. There's because no one program for every there, single person on this planet. Right. Not just that there's no one program, but like there's no one rule. So like if you take rules that we hear, like um, don't edit as you go is the one I use the most often. Um, Or you can't edit a blank page is the one that I use uh, a lot. Um, So you can't edit a blank page assumes that we all edit in the same way. Mm -hmm. It assumes that everyone edits on paper after they have already put the words down on paper. But there's a segment of people who edit in their head before they ever put words down on the page. And if they try to put words down on the page and edit after they write, it takes them sometimes 10 times as long to edit what they have written because they wrote it down first and then edited it on page. Whereas if you just let them edit in their head and edit as they go, they will absolutely be fine and they'll still make progress and finish books. But we have this motto that we repeat over and over again. You can't edit a blank page. You can't edit a blank page. And so if you assume that all writers are basically the same on some level and you take those rules to heart, you might actually ruin your process because you might be wired to edit off page instead of on page. And if you don't know that about yourself and how your brain works, you're always going to be applying somebody else's rules to your process because they're literally, and I have never found a rule. And I've been coaching writers now for eight years. I have never, ever found a rule that I couldn't find an exception to that was Mm -hmm. relevant given strengths data. So I just, I'm like, there is no rule. Writers write, don't edit a blank page, you know, fail to plan, plan to fail, nothing. It's all relative. That section about uh, editing in your head hit me 
big time because I have to, I don't write it out. I don't sit with the little scenes all written, but I have to have it in my head because anytime, okay, well, I've got an idea and I sit down to write, it'll take me three or four start and stops. And I'm talking 30 to 60,000 words. I'm like, oh, it's not what I wanted. I have to fully write the book in my head before I can actually put it on paper. Yep. You know, yep. I'm, tw- I'm 28 books under this pen name now. I think it's a total of like 35 or 36 under three different pen names, but it, yep. I have to write it in my head first. And I love that you put that in there because there's no one size fits all. Nope. There's no one rule that fits everyone. Now, I had Claire Taylor on my show, and she's very, very into Enneagrams. Are Enneagrams and the Gallup Clifton Strengths anything alike? Are they similar? They're they're similar in that they're they're more individualized than I think the average personality test is. I love Claire, and I also love the Enneagram. Um, they really serve different functions, and the the strengths are a very um, the intention is to be as individualized as possible with the strengths. And I feel like the Enneagram is not opposite of that. It just serves a different function. It's more interested in core fears and core desires and how those, how we have those fears and desires in common with other people. And then how that, that commonality can shape us and how the difference can shape us. Um, Strengths are very like almost to a point of, so, so there's 34 strengths. You have all 34 of them in an order, in a particular order and to a certain degree. And you are not just five of those things. You are on some level, all 34 to different degrees and the different degrees can be so different that there are 378,000 possible types of people, like just in terms of the, the different order that you can have. And that doesn't even take into account that my top five plus my Enneagram plus my Myers-Briggs plus my disc plus, plus, plus all of those things, (laughs) right? Like it's just, it's such a unique, uh, it's such a unique tool, but yes, it is definitely meant to be extremely individualized. um, Whereas I think a lot of other tools are more about the patterns that we all have in common. I think it's really important too to discover what your strengths are because I did try in the beginning to write like other people, although there weren't as many YouTubes and podcasts then. Right. But I've had to find my own rhythm for what works for me so that I can put out a book a month, every other month, every three months, whatever I'm whatever I feel like doing at the time. I'm not one of those people that think if you're an indie, you need to put out a book a month. That's a good way to burn out real quick. Which right. Segways to don't you have another one called Dear Writer? Are you in burnout? I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the burnout book, and this primarily came about because I I've been coaching so many people at such a high volume. Um, where, you know, I coach I coach 30 plus hours a week sometimes, sometimes more than that, um, every week. And so I coach, I've have coached almost 6,000 individual authors. And what that means is I tend to see the patterns really quickly that are emerging in the Mm -hmm. industry that are more personal patterns and less of like, I don't know anything about what's hot and don't ask me because I I don't know. Um, But like, I don't know anything about trends in the, in the market or the industry, but I do see trends in authors and it was not 
a pretty picture when I first started seeing the burnout coming because no one saw it. Like everyone was like, no, we're fine. This is great. Let's keep going. And I was like, but you're all going to burn out. And then Mm -hmm. sure enough, like after, you know, a couple of years later, we first started to see the really big burnout trend. And then it has kind of gotten worse and worse and worse over the last three years. And to the point where I feel like I hear more about burnout on a regular day than I ever expected that I would, um, just in, in author groups. Um, and so the, the percentage of authors who are burning out because of course the majority of authors, more than the majority are not making a living writing. Right. And so the frustration level of people who are putting in a full-time work, load, but not making a full-time living off of their workload. Um, that is a literal recipe for burnout at some point. And uh, so I, I feel like we're just seeing it in such significant numbers. It, it's a little scary. Well, you throw in how many social networks are out there and you need to be active on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, make make videos, three, five, 10 videos a day and make sure they're engaging and one book a month. And Right, except you don't, right? That, like, you can't. Yeah. And, and you shouldn't actually. No. Like the, the statistical possibility of books selling only because of social media right. is so low, but we never question the premise of that advice because everybody's like, well, everyone else is doing it. Mm-hmm. Every workshop has, you know, every conference has workshops upon workshops of people who are doing well in social media. Right. But we don't ever question the premise of the fact that is it actually possible for everyone to be killing it in their book sales? Right. Is it actually possible for social media to help everyone? No. But we all act as though the work that we're doing should be producing something because we make ourselves feel guilty when it doesn't. Right. And we try to work harder and do more when it doesn't, instead of acknowledging that it takes more than just hard work and talent to make this career viable. And it takes more than just being on every social media channel and, and advertising everywhere and writing in every genre and writing a million books a year. It takes more than that. And the, the, pain point I think of that is no one knows what that something is. I mean, I, I know what it is, but I can't manufacture it right? Um, because it's luck and timing. So hard work and talent are two of the factors for sure. Smart strategies are important, mm-hmm. but tactics do not produce outcomes. Luck and timing along with hard work and talent are what produces the outcomes of success. And that is painful for us because it's not predictable. But they got it. I want it. It worked for them. Why doesn't it work for... I mean, I've seen some books go extremely viral because of TikTok. And then I've seen some flop. There's an author who her biggest claim to fame, or she loves to tout that she has never advertised or marketed a day in her life, although she lied because I recently saw her ads on Amazon, but she put (laughs) a book out and it, it just, it was flash in the pan. Pow, you know, it exploded. And she's had an extremely, extremely successful career. Whereas some of my favorite authors, their ratings, which guys don't look at your ranks because that's just going to kill you are like down in the 500,000s. I'm like, oh my God, this person is brilliant. Why doesn't everybody else know about it? I talk about their books all the time. Right. There's no one answer. And if you try to be on every social media, you're wasting time that you could be using to write or find a a strategy that works or, you know, putting in the work 
to make the books work. <laughs> right. Or frankly, like some of us resting or yes. taking time where we are not trying to make this work. And I think there the the thankful the thing I'm thankful for about where we are now versus where we were maybe four years ago is that we are no longer in the gold rush. Like the gold rush is over and it's been over for long enough that it is fully over. So in an established independent publishing industry now, not having to play by gold rush rules, you do not have to get in fast and make money as quickly as you can anymore because that's all been done. That's all over. Now it's all about building sustainable businesses and being here for the long term and making smart choices. And that means that you have to not wear yourself out and you have to not see failure as evidence of failure because the crazy part about this industry is you can be extremely talented and work very hard and not see results and not see results and not see results and then randomly take off. And it is that unpredictable that like hard work and talent do not equate to results. Just because people who have results have worked hard and are talented does not mean that that is, uh, that that is predictive the data, right? Like you can't just say, well, everyone who works hard and is talented is selling at a high level. No, they're not because I, I have coached them and they're not. Um, but we don't see the failure stories. We only see the success stories. And so we assume something about the industry that isn't true. And if we can understand what it means that the gold rush is over and that it's possible for us to build careers regardless of what's behind us, regardless of, you know, how many pen names we have or what books we've released that haven't sold. We know it's possible for it still in the future to sell, Mm -hmm. but we do not expect that just because I have done the work, I will naturally sell. That's gold rush thinking. That's show up and sell. The rules are different now. I always use it as comparison for American Idol. Believe it or not, when I was like 25, 26, I actually auditioned. Nothing like you see on TV, by the way. You do sleep on the street, on the sidewalk. It was awful. I heard some of the most talented voices Mm -hmm. I've ever heard in my life, and not one of them that I actually witnessed ended up on the show. Yep. You know, it's, it doesn't matter how wonderful of a voice it you are. It doesn't mean, yeah, it doesn't yep. mean you're going to be the next Beyonce. It doesn't matter how great your band is. It doesn't mean you're going to be the next Aerosmith. Yep. It's luck and timing. Stars have to align. And, you know, it's, yep. it's as bad as me trying to go to sleep. You know, you got to do 15,000 positions and <laughs> <laughs> make sure the stars are aligned. Yeah. Now, you told us what the inspiration was behind writing. Dear writer, you need to quit. What was your inspiration between behind going full on with the quit books? Yeah, I think it was uh, this. My staff will laugh if if they heard that I was saying this because every time I write a book, my hope is this will be the last time I have to talk about this, and now everyone will just be able to read the book, and I can go back to writing fiction um, <laughs> every single time because I'm like, oh, I'm seeing this pattern. Um, writers need to hear about this because it is something that's happening in a statistically relevant way. So like I kind of wait until it's getting to a critical mass before I write about it. And then it's like, okay, let's do this. And then let's write this book. And now I'll never have to talk about it again. And of course, the opposite thing always happens, right? Because that the book can never be definitive. And 
And it really is the coaching work where we are the most helpful. Um, I'm grateful for the books. They're amazing tools, but but most people's problems are not going to be solved by reading a book only. Right. Um, and so we have to do, you know, classes and coaching and all that stuff as well in addition. Um, and so, but every single time I I write a book, it's always because I'm thinking in the back of my head, okay, if I just put this out there and get this out of me now, no one will ever ask me about this again, because this will answer <laughs> everyone's questions. And then that's the, the opposite happens. So maybe I should stop releasing books if I want to write fiction so much, but I can't because I keep seeing the problems, right? It's like, and it really is so visible to me because I coach so much every single day. You have a heart to help is what it is. You want to try to help as many people as possible. Right. And also because I'm a writer, like I and and I I know a lot of people who do podcasts feel this way as well. It's like I'm also a writer. So it matters to me that the industry is sane and safe Mm -hmm. and healthy because Mm -hmm. I have to live here. Yeah. And when I (laughs) see people (laughs) right like when I see that people are getting taken advantage of or they're getting cheated or like they're struggling or they're believing things that aren't true, it affects me because I am also a fiction writer. And so if other people who are in this industry are struggling, I have a hard time like cornering myself off from that because I, because I am very extroverted and I like people a lot. And so um, my, my goal is always to try to provide the kind of industry that I would want to be a part of. And so I think a lot of what I do is just sort of self-preservation more than anything else. <laughs> I'm an extroverted introvert. I can talk to anyone and I enjoy being around people, but I recharge by being completely alone. And I mean, oh, nice. even from my husband, I have to completely recharge. Yeah. The, the seeing the problem and wanting it fixed. I actually did a YouTube channel because I had a, um, a coaching client And I found, oh God, I hate that she was sent to me so late. She got taken for $10,000 by a vanity press. It was $11,000. If she had been sent to me earlier, I could have stopped it. I, I guess... In my the back of my head, I was like, oh, everybody knows about vanity presses now. Right. We don't need to, have to talk about this anymore. So I made a full YouTube video about that. Like, hey, this is how you identify them. This is how you avoid them. Yeah. Because I can't believe there are still predators out there preying on people's hopes. And, well, I don't know why I would think they wouldn't be. There's still scam artists right. out there. Right. I wish that there weren't. I wish that the entire industry was all ethical all the right. time. Um, but it isn't. And I think that's why I, I still stick around. And, and I think there are, um, I'm, I'm so grateful to see the number of people who are joining kind of the like, Hey, let's make sure there's good information out there. Yes. Because yeah, when we first started, especially in the very early years of indie, almost everyone who was helping authors at that time, and not every single person, but almost everyone was not an author. And so there was a lot of, like when we first started seeing indie authors who actually came into the space and started helping, that was the first time I was like, okay, there's more sanity here now because it was a (laughs) lot of 
like people just trying to make money off of what they saw was an opportunity to make money. And, and I am not a fan of that. So um, I, I definitely appreciate the way the nonfiction industry has changed in the last 10 years. Um, I've been really happy to see that, but there still is just, there's so much to do because I mean, this industry is so difficult and it's so unpredictable and, and changing I think we all constantly. need a lot of help all the time. Yeah, it's constantly changing. That's why I started yeah. the podcast. I kind of, I had friends like, you need to do it. You need to do it. And at first I started out so shy, like, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. But now it's like, I, I feel like I need to get a megaphone to scream some of these things yeah. out. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't want anyone else being used and abused and taken advantage of. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's like, I, I feel like if I see it, I need to speak out about it. Yeah. Like you and your yeah. mom. I'm sorry. What was your, your mom's back? You and your mother's oh, yeah, podcast. The, um, Smarty Pants book. Smarty Pants. Podcast. Mm-hmm. It's on my phone, but my phone is literally tucked behind me because even if I put it on the table and somebody texts, it goes. Bzzz. So oh, it's like, right. <laughs> so I have to keep it tucked away in my ample behind <laughs> to keep it muffled. So sorry. That was a little TMI there. No, um, okay. Now, how long did it take you to finish? Uh, Dear writer, you need to quit. Sorry, I keep having to clear my throat. That's okay. It's that time of year. It really is. Um, When I started writing it, I wrote it very quickly because I had kind of, like I I similarly write in my head before I write uh, on paper. Uh, And so I had kind of been composing that book over the course of probably the six years before I, you know, five or six years before I wrote it. Um, And so by the time I finally decided I was going to write a book and just sat down to write it, it happened so fast. I mean, like, I think there were days when I was writing 12 or 13,000 words in a day. It was just like, okay, it's all there. I just need to like Spock mind meld with my computer and get it all on the page. And then it'll be, you know, it'll be done. Uh, And I ended up actually like I, I did quite a bit of work on it after that because I really wanted it to be me because I feel like one of the assets of nonfiction writing these days is that you see so much more personality of people in their nonfiction books. Like I only read audiobooks of nonfiction when the narrator narrates it because I, or the the author narrates it because I feel like, um, I connect so much more with people's advice when I can hear them and feel their, you know, what they're feeling and stuff like that. So um, I really wanted to make it more me. And so I did a lot of like reading things out loud and making sure that, um, that my voice was in it and my cadence yeah, and um, your, per- your personality, my personality, QTT voice. Yes. the QTT voice. And I would actually, cause I, I had already been doing the, uh, 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 Smarty Pants podcast with my mom. I had been practicing that voice for a while, and so <laughs> it was very uh, second nature to me to to um, to write in that voice, which I right. I like. Yeah. Side side note: I do love your podcast. Yeah, have, I've got so yeah. many that I'm subscribed to, and I I listen to podcasts when I you know I can't use my hands to watch something. Right, but it's like because I am a fiction writer and a coach, and I'm trying to write a nonfiction book. My gosh, hats off to you! I wrote six thousand words on the fiction plus some business planning and stuff yesterday. Mm. Ooh, I was tired by the time I have about an hour and a half to two hours downtime at night 
and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I make myself, I, I was doing like a, like a half hour to an hour, but then I couldn't sleep. So I'm mm. making myself rest more now. I was working yeah. six, seven days a week. Nope. I'm off. I took off the week of Thanksgiving. Like I'm just. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm, okay. I put up Christmas trees and some decor and I host. So I needed to rest, but I even, I even slept in three days in a row. Oh, I, yay. Oh, I good. never sleep in. I, I was like 930. I'm like, ooh, no alarm clock. Yeah. <laughs> People don't realize how important rest is to this career. Oh, it's huge. That that will cause the the, the burnout. Yeah. Um, now, what is the biggest takeaway from Dear Writer, You Need to Quit? Do you wish writers would take to, to heart? Is there one main thing in that book out of yes. everything you've said? Yes. Like I if I could if I could have one wish for writers and just for the writing community in general. I would wish that we could collectively stop looking for the silver bullet. Hallelujah. I just, I cannot describe how many of us waste so much of our time wishing that we could fix every single thing about every single thing instead of just acknowledging that there's going to be pain associated with this job and buckling down and doing the work instead of trying to constantly find a way to do things where we don't have any pain at all. And there's a difference for me between like, I enjoy things and they are also have a little bit of pain associated with them. Like, you know, basketball has a little bit of pain associated with it. I love to play basketball, but there is a difference for me between, well, this isn't quite perfect. This doesn't quite, um, this doesn't have no pain. There has to be an easier way to do this. There has to be a better way to do this. There has to be a way for me to do everything where I will not have to sacrifice anything and not have any pain. And I feel like we waste so much of our collective time, not just assuming that we are doing it right, that our best is good enough for the moment and that we can make forward progress and spend more time actually writing Mm -hmm. and less time trying to find the secret silver bullet, how to market perfect perfectly, or, Mm -hmm. you know, have every single book sell or whatever. It's like, we're, we're missing the whole point of this job um, by the way that we do silver bullet seeking so consistently. To acknowledge the fact that even Stephen King has bad launches. I mean, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Even the well-known authors have bad launches sometimes. It happens. I've had books that hit bestsellers on release day. I'm like, whoa, what did I do? And try to to repeat that that formula the next time it didn't work. It just... You never know. It's Um, completely unpredictable. And and I'm constantly saying, like, Loki is in charge. We want (laughs) Captain America to be in charge because we want things to be predictable and and we want them to progress in a certain way. And we want it to be very, very, like, consistently predictable and easy. And Loki's in charge. It is unpredictable and chaotic. And some people succeed and it seems really logical. And then other people don't succeed and it doesn't seem logical. And we forget that even a broken clock is right 
like twice a day. Twice a day. Right? So like Loki can make sense sometimes because it seems like that is predictable, but it doesn't mean that everything that happens in the industry is predictable. And I think if a lot of us would stop assuming that we are wrong or broken or lazy or stupid because we are not getting the results that we want and instead just keep moving forward and stop trying to fix a problem that isn't broken uh, and just accept that, again, that Loki's in charge and that it's going to work sometimes and not sometimes and let's learn what we can and move on. Well, I need to warn you now, Becca, we are now best friends because you, <laughs> you referenced Marvel. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm a Marvel. I told my husband, I said, the next dog we get or animal will be a male and it'll be Tony or Steve. And he laughed. He's like, oh, that's funny human names. Little did he know. Yes. Tony Stark or Captain as in Steve Rogers. <laughs> yes. My my best friend has a dog named Tony for that specific <laughs> reason. And it's funny because well, I'm not a Marvel person, but so many people are Marvel people that like the Loki uh, Captain America thing makes sense. But when I said Loki the first time, not today, but Originally, when I started talking about it, I actually meant the chaos god Loki, right? Like the yeah, not yeah. Tom Hiddleston, who is objectively like a beautiful you, lo- version of Loki. Oh, yes, he is. <laughs> but the actual like chaos god Loki, and they're like, oh, no, 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 Tom Hiddleston is a nice guy or whatever. And I'm like, okay, let's like, I get the Marvel thing, but it's the <laughs> chaos god that is the problem. Yeah. If you've watched um, the Vikings, you get the Loki and all those guys. Right. That's our right. next two animals would be Ragnar and Lagatha, if you've oh, watched. Oh, nice. And they were nice. real people. Sorry, that's way off topic. But that's you okay. said you referenced Marvel. I am a Marvel fanatic. So that just kind of went into my wheelhouse. Now, with the quit books, do you suggest reading them in any particular order or does, or does it matter? Like whatever you're needing at that time. Yeah, whatever you need at the time. I mean, I if you don't need any one of them in particular, I would start with the quit, the dear writer, you need to quit first. Um, just because I I did that, you know, that is the progression. They kind of all build on that. Um, and then the burnout book, the writer's block book, and the intuitive book are all sort of like more problem, like a very specific problem uh, related. And then the other three kind of build on a progression um, with each other. But honestly, I would look at them and see what do you need right now? Because that's kind of why they're all so different as they each kind of solve a different problem. Yeah, I'm trying to remember one of the podcasts I listen to regularly had mentioned your book so many times through their their episodes. I'm like, okay, guess that's oh, the yeah. next one on my list. <laughs> it might have been Brian and, and Claire on uh, some more book show. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what can someone expect in your course, Write Better Faster? That's another course I hear on several podcasts discussed. Yeah, that is a author systems alignment course. And the purpose of that is sort of to say, okay, am I doing the best version of myself in this writer career? Like, are there things that I could realign? Are there things I think I'm doing wrong that I could um, uh, change my expectations for myself about that I'm actually doing right? Are there things I really am doing wrong that I could change? Um, And so it is not a straight up productivity class in terms of like the goal is not just to write faster. It's not better comma faster. Um, It's better hyphen faster, which is a 
exponential growth concept. So like when you get into alignment with the way that you are wired and everything around you and all of your goals and expectations, you have this ability to work and function with no friction. Um, And that is kind of where we're hoping to get authors to in this class is how do we take everything about you and really customize your expectations for what you should be doing and how you can be more effective and how you can have less friction really in your author life. I always tell people if you're forcing the words out, it's going to read forced. Mm. It's it's going to read lazy. Uh, I'll talk about The Walking Dead because that's my jam and it just ended. I felt like the last season was forced, like their mm. hand was forced and it was so rushed. And the last episode left me wanting I cried mm. though. I did cry. Now, is Write Better Faster like a course that you can buy and go through on your own? Or is it like a group course where several of us are in it together? Yeah, it's a cohort c- course. We don't run any uh, evergreen courses. And that's actually um, one of the uh, one of the reasons that I started doing courses at all was because I really just wanted to organize everyone that I was coaching through this process into one place. And so the um, the course is very much a coached experience. Like we have coaches inside the course who respond individually to people and, um, and we kind of coach you through the whole month. And then at the very end, you have a one-on-one with one of our, um, with one of our coaches and all of our coaches are Gallup certified strengths coaches, but the course itself is not about strengths. Um, it is about you as an author and all these different parts of your author life. And then we use strengths in the coaching at the end to sort of finally align everything and tweak everything together. And is it something that's only open, you know, certain parts of the year? Mm -hmm. Like, is it different enrollment periods? Yeah, we teach it uh, six times a year. And so we do January, March, May, July, September, and November. I think I have to make sure I put the links in the show notes so people can find the course and all the books because I'm going to testify. Dear writer, you need to quit. Got me, got me hungry. That's why I had to talk to you. (laughs) Oh, yay. Thank you. I'm glad. I loved that book. It was a very, um, when I first had the first conversation about titling that book, one of my friends was like, you can't name it that you're going to get roasted. Like everyone's going to accuse you of like trying to get writers to quit. And I'm like, that's okay. Because the follow-up to that is, you know, dear writer, you need to quit, but don't quit writing. Just quit all the other stuff you don't need to be doing so you can write more. But, but that I title love, was too long. <laughs> I love the the uh, permission you gave in there that maybe you do need to quit writing, you know, yeah. for a period of time. And I tell people that there should not be pressure. If you're a full-time writer, this is your sole income. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. But otherwise, if you put pressure on yourself and make it I don't want to say a job, but you know what I mean by that. Yeah. It's you're going to have burnout and that's going to be the end of your career regardless. Right. I've and heard even that. with people who are full-time professional writers, like we've had people over the years who have had to quit being a professional full-time writer because they burned out or because they yeah. just couldn't like with life anymore. Right. And the, the key is though, if you do have to quit, nothing is forever. Mm-hmm. You can build momentum back. You can have a second wave in your career. You can prepare yourself to take time off. If you have to, you can get a second job, but there's so much 
such all or nothing thinking in the writing world that I think a lot of us are like, well, if I don't do this on my first release, then I'm never going to do it. Or if I don't do it on my 10th book, this is the one. If I don't do it this time, I'm never going to do it or vice versa. If I have to get a job again, I'm never going to be able to write again. Yeah, and none of those I things failed. are true. I've been told that before. If I have to get a job, that means I failed. Excuse me? Oh, no. No, no, no. Excuse There are people that don't want to write full-time. They don't want to be at home. My husband worked from home during the whole COVID thing, and I was like coaching him more or less like, okay, put on your uniform, take your normal breaks because you're going to like hate this. He's in a cold basement you know, by himself without his coworkers. I'm busy there in the day. I can't entertain you. Like, <laughs> so, like you, there are some people that cannot make themselves sit at a certain period of time and write. And, you know, I'm, I'm a very, right. I have a disability, so I actually physically can't drive to work and I can't always see straight to even walk straight a lot of times. So mm. I have turned this into my job and have a very, not a regimented schedule, but a pretty decent schedule. I'm pretty bad about following my blocks half the time. I forget to eat a lot. I get mm-hmm. <laughs> my PA yells at me for that, but I totally just went off topic and forgot where I was going with that. Oh no, that's okay. I would I wanted to add to the the reason that I say um about the the working like the full-time thing mm-hmm. is that some of us actually do need to release the pressure. Yes. That the the pressure of me trying to make a living at this is too much for some of us. And that's yes. not a failure or success thing. It's just an alignment thing. Like some mm-hmm. of us are literally not wired to do this for a living, especially as a sole income provider. Right. And if that's right. you and you find that out, then that's just information that you've discovered about yourself. You can still be a writer and there are plenty of things that you can do that allow you to still write at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's just how are you going to do it? And I think so much of this, like so much of the coaching that I do is trying to, again, question the premise of the assumptions that we're making that are keeping us in a place that's unhelpful. And if we can just question that and find out whether or not that's actually true, and then if it isn't, why hold ourselves to something that isn't true? Because it's much better to hold yourself accountable to the truth instead. And and that's just, you know... That's my goal. <laughs> I, guess. I wish I could take this podcast to like writing conventions and just put it on the PA and just blast it. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of people yeah. mean well, like 20 books to 50K. I love the group. I love the summits. You know, I watch the videos, all that stuff. But the actual title is because when I first heard that, I'm like, oh, I'll write 20 books and make 50,000. It's kind of misleading if you don't actually know what the group is. There is no hard, fast rule. There, it, right. There is no hard, fast, hard fast rule. I think too, the, the thing that I really appreciate about most of the conferences that I see that are happening around now is that there are so many more people who, whether from me or from their lived experience, are yeah. learning that there are no hard and fast rules. And so I, I really appreciate that at least from the stage and workshops, we're more likely to now hear, this may not work for you. Here's the caveat, right? Like here's the thing. And let's always be questioning the premise. And even though not everyone who says that got it from me, I still smile when I hear that because I'm like, oh, there's the QTP mindset. There's the QTP mindset. (laughs) Because it is absolutely the key of, and I think the reason that a lot of people resist 
um, changing their mind about things is because they do assume they make assumptions about what's true about the industry. And we believe so many things are true about the industry because they were true with New York publishing. Right. We don't ever question why they were that way. So like when we do a debut release with a New York publisher, you don't fail at debuting as an author the publisher fails to launch you correctly because the the randomness of the industry keeps us from launching everyone appropriately. Mm-hmm. And then they are no longer interested in investing in you, but that doesn't mean you lose your capacity to be a good author. It just means that the debut with New York was not the way, that was not the space for you to take off. There could be another space in front of you. But so many of us have assimilated that New York rule where we do not realize that we place so much weight on individual releases because we're so afraid that it's predictive about our future. And it really isn't. And we just don't ever think to question the premise. And again, this is why I'm such a huge fan of QTPing everything, because there often are reasons why we do and believe things in the industry that are incorrect. And if we don't ever question those assumptions, we're always going to hold ourselves accountable for the wrong for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are no hard, fast rules. Yep. No, I, re- I remember none. early, early on, I can't remember, might have been Neil Gaiman. I don't want to lie though. He posted a tweet like every single day for like 300 days or something like that. And that's how he got his success. It was something mm. crazy like that. And then I saw somebody on TikTok recently crying because her debut book, the, the launch day was not great. Yeah. Oh, sweetheart, that's just your first book. Right. You know, keep going, you know, build up your backlist, keep working, you know, have your side hobbies. It's it's right, not which is a make the or break. mindset though, right? Like yes. that's what's so fascinating is we don't even hear it sometimes. Yes. That we're using those New York assumptions instead of being like, oh no, there's like that's just that publisher or that's just New York publishing. Like there are so many more ways to get in front of readers, yes. um, but, but we don't always think about that because we're so fixed in our, in our, in our perceptions. And it's circling back around. I'm finding I'm having better luck during in-person events. Right. That's so crazy. Cause remember like, you know, for a while there was all online, people are starting to go back to bookstores or they're starting to seek out the authors at conventions and shows and craft shows or whatever. It's, it circles back around just like fashion. (laughs) There's, there's no rules for us. Yep. Is there a specific place you want people to come find you? Your website or Facebook or I would go watch the the quick cast videos on YouTube. Um, I think that's probably the best uh, the best place to find us because everybody is so different, and I feel like you'll get a sense for whether you like my content or not by watching some of our, especially the earlier quick cast videos where we kind of do the introduction to the methodology. And then if you like it, then there's other places you can go and and we talk about those. But I always tell people, like, if you're wondering what we're all about, go watch the quick cast, start from the first episode. I mean, I can't promise the first episode isn't cringy anymore because I did it (laughs) in like 2017, but people keep liking it and watching it. So I think it's okay. But, um, 
But uh, yeah, or or if you're burned out, go watch our burnout videos or go watch our writer's block videos. Like there are so many resources on our YouTube channel that are like one off question the premise of procrastination, question the premise of planning, like all these things where I feel like a lot of the content you can just get for free on YouTube. So why not do it? Yeah, I love YouTube. Uh, YouTube and Google have been like a godsend. (laughs) I'll make sure I put that link in the show notes as well. Thank you. Becca, thank you so much for coming on. Would you want to come back on uh, after your next book? Oh, sure. Yeah. I I really enjoy podcasts a lot, um, especially when people have read the the material, because then you can ask me the questions about the material, which I I like talking about the material. So I I like the podcast over my YouTube because I don't have to put makeup on for my podcast. I'm wearing my pajama (laughs) pants and a sweatshirt and a ponytail right now. So So people people are concerned that I'm going to have them on video. You're good. No bra. We're okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just get comfortable. Um, All right, Becca, it was fabulous talking to you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this episode of Road to an Abundant Author Life, feel free to leave a review on whatever outlet you listen from. Click the subscribe button. And if you have any questions, email me at AbundantAuthorLife at Yahoo.com. 